Hi everybody, I'm Lacey. I'm Bailey. And I'm Drew. And we're sarcastic, so let's get sinister. She held out the R at the end. Sinister. Like a growl. Like growling. <laughs> Almost like pirates. Is oh, that is related that to, what, to we're do what we're about? talking about? No. I just oh. want to make you guess that. There are ships, though. What kind of ships? Sailing ships. I'm going to be telling and... you about Franklin's Lost Expedition. Ooh. Who's Franklin? Is that I'm Benjamin Franklin? No. Is it a city? I was going to say Franklin? maybe a relative, but I don't know that. Should we should we look on Ancestry.com right now? You can. His name was I John, so good luck finding the John Franklin that connects to Ben Franklin. Should we just keep guessing? Or are you just going to dive in you and start telling us? You have jelly? I was just watching you make that snack that I'm a little jealous of. Subscribe to our in. Patreon to see what Drew's eating. <laughs> I'll clear you you doing. I, I told them to subscribe to our Patreon so they can see what you're eating. Mm-hmm. S- Patreon slash Sinister and Sarcastic 942. It looks tasty. Mm-hmm. I often describe it as, like, a comfort snack. Mm, it's very um, nos- uh, uh, nostalgic um, mm-hmm. because mom used to make those for us. Mm-hmm. Aw, that's cute. That's why it's comforting. I them being, like, a she served them as a sandwich, not just like. Oh yeah, I'm but that makes a mess. Those. Okay, you're right. Still cute. All right, are you ready? Yes. Yeah, first. All right. Our story starts in 1845. Okay, so that's a long time ago. Yes, so many years, a certain number of years even. Um, I would say time, nearly 200. Oh. At this time, countries were obsessed with trying to find the legendary Northwest Passage, which would provide a shortcut from Europe to Asia through the Canadian Arctic. This was really similar to like the space race that happened between the U.S. and Russia, where we were just both desperately trying to be the first ones. Everybody wanted to find the Northwest Passage. And the search for it started long before 1845. Christopher Columbus was even on an expedition that was looking for the Northwest Passage. And, you know, that was... Countries have used to be like really competitive with stuff like that. Yeah, well, especially with like exploration. I mean, at this point, like we only have space and like the depths of the ocean to explore. But but back then, there was so much land yet um, to check out, which is cool. So everybody don't want to go into the ocean. It's scary. Yeah, I don't think we're putting a whole lot of effort into that because it's horrifying. No, I think space is also scary. But for some reason, less scary than the ocean, even though it's so much bigger. I think it's because it's hard to understand how big space is. And the ocean's dark. Yes, and space is so bright. We have the sun. (laughs) There is the sun. Um, So, space race, Northwest Passage, everybody wanted to find it for hundreds of years. Everybody wanted to be the first. So by the mid-19th century, most of the expeditions were coming from the UK. And as we gained 
geographic knowledge of the Western Hemisphere, exploration started moving toward the Arctic. So originally they didn't know they would have to go through the Arctic as we didn't have all of the land explored. But as we explored more and more and figured out where all the land was, they moved more and more northwest and said it has to be through the Arctic somewhere. Um, that first, well, I'll get there in a second. So the Hudson's Bay Company started in 1670, which might sound familiar because it still exists. It owes stores like Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, they opened up exploration of the Canadian coastlines and Arctic seas. They were big on the journey there. By the year 1800, most explorers felt pretty confident that there was no Northwest Passage between the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. It just wasn't there to be found. We've explored everything already. However, this did not stop the expeditions. Okay. So, in 1804, Second Secretary of the Admiralty, Sir John Barrow, started pushing for the Royal Navy to find a Northwest Passage over the top of Canada. The Admiralty used to be in command of the Royal Navy until, like, 1964. So, top, top guy in the Navy was like, we're going to be the ones. We're going to find it. Um, <clears throat> he sent, or he spent the next 40 years of his career sending out expedition after expedition trying to find the Northwest Passage. And because he believed there was an open polar sea in the Canadian Arctic that just nobody had found yet. And once we could find that polar sea, that would give us the passage. By 1845, when our story starts, all of these expeditions had narrowed the search to about 70,000 square miles in the Canadian Arctic. That was all that was left unexplored up there. Okay, so in that first picture on the slideshow is... um. Like, there's Canada, but then the red part is what's considered Canadian Arctic. Okay. Where did you send the slideshow for me? Because I can't find it. I don't know. It was whatever name came up when I when I said Bailey. I just shared my screen. Great. There we so go. You should be able to that it, makes Bill. it easy. All right. So, way up there. Way north. So cold. So north. So oh. cold, so north. <laughs> so by 1845, um, John Barrow is 82 years old, and he desperately, he wants this to be like the thing that he does. He wants to be in charge of the Royal Navy when they find the Northwest Passage um, before the end of his career, which you're 82 years old in 1845. You can't have that much time left. So he decides to send another expedition. This one's going to be the one. There's not a lot of land left to explore. This was going to travel to and then through those unexplored miles. Coming west I feel like through. he keeps on saying, like, no, 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 guys, like, this is the one. This <laughs> is for the sure one. this time. It's for sure this time. Um, I know last would, time was, um, like, weird, but, like, this time we got it. Yeah, so it would go to Greenland and then come west through Lancaster Sound, which I labeled on that picture, and then travel um, west and south if able. Looking at the picture, we can, like, clearly see <laughs> a passage going from like one side to the other but we have to remember because when i was looking at the pictures i kept thinking like they're kind of stupid and they can't navigate but like they hadn't navigated all of this yet they didn't know what was where they were still figuring it out i thought so you were I gonna say, i thought you were gonna say pangea or like <laughs> blame it on that and say that those islands were like connected or that something was on one land mass so obviously they couldn't go through it so this expedition yeah, I was going to say, I thought we saw her a minute ago. I almost said her name, and I was like, wait a minute. Um, That's why so, I keep muting. Yeah, the expedition mm. would go, would cover about 1,040 miles 
Okay. Now, before you can start an expedition, you have to choose a leader. So Sir John Barrow had to choose who he wanted to lead the expedition. And he looked at all the explorers who had already led expeditions to the Arctic and started narrowing it down. His first choice was a man named William Edward Perry. Um, however, Perry was just tired of the Arctic. When you go on these expeditions, you're gone for months to years. Um, and it's the Arctic. He was tired of it. He said, no, thank you. So his second choice was James Clark Ross. But Ross had recently gotten married and had promised his new wife he would not do any more Arctic expeditions. And so he said, I can't. I told my wife I wouldn't, and I'm not gonna. Which, you know, for some... <laughs> What a good man at that yes. time. In, in this what a nice guy. Yeah. Um, his third choice like most was of them were like, fuck it. He might have had, it might have been one of those things where he was like, oh, guys, I really want to go to <laughs> that so freezing badly. cold area for a super long time. But my <laughs> an interesting take and we'll come back to him um so the, his third choice was a na- man named james fitzjames um ultimately he rejected him because he was just too young he felt that this expedition was too important he needed somebody with a little bit more experience his fourth choice was a man named george back but bear decided no he's too argumentative i can't have him in charge of this the crew will mutiny his fifth choice was Francis Crozier, but Crozier was Irish, so that counted against him Ew. big time with the Royal Navy. Yeah, so we finally settled on sixth choice, Sir John what Franklin. True. I don't usually have like I I can't believe he made it to a sixth choice. Like was <laughs> no. it just like he was holding? Like, did he have a list? And he was just like checking them off, or like yeah, he he looked at all of the explorers that had already led whole expeditions to the Arctic, and he was like, "Who's the best of the best that I can count on for this to be the one that finds Northwest Passage?" And you know, Franklin was the sixth best of those people. That's gotta. I don't know how long the list really... was. So if it was a list of like fifty, then six isn't too bad. But if it was a list of like eight, <laughs> then it's a little more embarrassing. <laughs> But, I mean, so, even the Irishman was higher up than him. Higher so. than him, yeah. So he settles on Sir John Franklin. Um, John Franklin has a super fun connection to a popular name, which some people will recognize. I don't know that everybody will. So John Franklin had a sister named Sarah. She had a daughter named Emily, who eventually married Alfred Lord Tennyson, who was a poet. I could tell by the looks on your faces that you don't care about that. He no, gave us... I, I I recognize the name, but I Alfred. thought you were going to... I thought you were going to say that he's related to Ben Franklin. And oh. I was going to say, earlier you said he wasn't. That would have been misleading of me. Yeah. Um, and I but... recognize the poet's name, too. Yay. Thank you, Miss English I was, teacher. I was like, if neither of them recognize it, they're just going to make fun of me. Um, for those of you who don't, he gave us the famous line, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. So, fun connection. Um, in 1819, so before this, John Franklin had... <laughs> been leading an expedition to chart the north coast of canada during this expedition he actually fell off of the ship into the hayes river and had to be rescued by a member of his team 90 meters downstream so first of all i feel like you're lucky to survive that because it's so cold up there and he was in the water then he was on a party because the way that the ships would explore or these expeditions would go is you your ship would go and you would stop somewhere for a while, and then you would go out on, like, exploration parties. So you'd go out with a team of, like, sled dogs or whatever, and explore overland as well, okay? So he was on one of these parties, these overland parties, with 20 men under him. He managed to lose 11 of them, 
mostly to starvation or exhaustion, although at least one to murder. And the survivors who had to be rescued became so hungry that they ate lichen and they tried to eat their boots, their leather boots. This gave Franklin the nickname, ready? The man who ate his boots. <laughs> she likes that. I have a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, when you said he lost 11 of them, I thought you meant he literally lost them. Oh, oh. No, they died. Because we were, we're talking about the lost, the lost expedition. expedition. Yeah, no, he's going to yeah. lose um, And then what, they ate what before their boots? Lichen, which is like moss. It's the stuff that like reindeer eat. I've heard of it. I just didn't. Yeah, you I know, it grows were... on trees. Yeah, I thought you were talking of, I, I don't know. I thought... When you said they ate, I thought you were going to say other people. So when you said oh. lichen, I was like, is Not that a person that. that I'm supposed to know? Or... I have a question. <laughs> Sir Lichen. Yes. Are we going to just like brush over the mur- the murder that happened? That's all we know. That's all I could find. Was oh. that he had lost 11 of 20, mostly to starvation and exhaustion, but at least one to murder. At least one to murder. So they don't know to say who got it was hurt. A like crazy time. <laughs> it was. Listen, you're lost in the Canadian Arctic. People piss you off. You got nothing to lose. You know? That's a good way to like, as like the leader to like kill off one of your crew. Be like, we mm. lost him to starvation, and like someone murdered another one. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Wait, who? I don't know. Don't worry. Just eleven out of twenty gone. It's no worry. About Let's it. move on. Yeah. I mean, we lose so many. You guys can't here, dwell right? on the past. Yeah. Um. I want to mention this now because I just realized I didn't write it down. I'll f- I'm going to forget to say it later. So there's actually a book written about this. Um, it's historical fiction. So it's one of those based on true events books. Um, but it's called The Terror. And they turned it a couple years ago into a TV show called The Terror. And I watched, I didn't get to watch any of it or read the book because I found out about it last night. Um, but I watched the trailer for it and I just am really excited because it's like the next show on my list now. So based seems to be based kind of loosely on this. Okay, so this expedition was going to use two ships. Um, the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror. HMS stands for Her Majesty's Ship, so I'm not saying that the entire time through this. I'm just letting you know now. All the freaking ships have HMS in front of their names. So Erebus and the other one is named Terror. Erebus in Greek mythology is the personification of darkness. And is also occasionally used to refer to a place that souls must pass through to reach Hades. So both very positive, cheerful ships. They were state of their art, state of their art, state of the art for their time. Um, they had sails, so they could operate just using wind. But they also had steam engines, um, and they were converted from former locomotives, which I just thought was cool. Uh, this was. I don't want to say the first time this had been done because I don't know that for sure, but it was new. The steam engines required a ton of fresh water per hour to operate. So they had to also give the ships a desalination system so they could use ocean water, take the salt out and have fresh water for their steam engines. Both of the ships had been out on... Drew? Um, why? Do this salt would cause rust. Is that accurate? That could be. It's absolutely believable to me. I don't know how steam engines work, and I forgot to dive that deeply into my research, so that's my bad. Yeah. But if, if any listeners 
know why a steam engine needs fresh water instead of salt water. Who disagrees with Bailey? Let us know. I like Bailey's answer. It sounded Solid believable. damage sounded to turbine confident. blades. We don't need corrosion. listeners to answer anymore. Turbine blades. Yeah. So, oh, both of these ships had been used on a previous expedition. This wasn't their first rodeo. Um, and a previous expedition they had been on, James Clark Ross, who was his second choice for this, had actually been in charge. And Crozier had commanded the Terror on that one. Um, so they've been used in expeditions. They've been to the Canadian Arctic. So on this expedition, Franklin's expedition, he would command Erebus, and Fitzjames would be his second in command on Erebus. Um, and then Crozier, the Irish guy who got passed over, would be the executive officer and would be in command of Terror. So even though his none of his first choices would lead the whole expedition, a couple of them still got involved. Uh, Franklin was given the expedition on February 7th, 1845. He was told, hey, this is for you. And then he got his instructions where they were to go and what they were to do on May 5th, which was only a couple weeks before they set sail. So now we need to get ready. We need our preparations. They, oh, I wanted to say this too. The ship also had, in addition to these super cool new steam engines, a steam heating system to keep the crew comfy and warm in Arctic conditions. And I thought that was interesting because they talked about it being new technology, which means before that, these expeditions were just going to the Arctic with no, like, heating system. <clears throat> and that seems silly to me. They have blankets. Uh, hopefully. I don't know. Um, the ships also had a library with over a thousand books, so you could be warm and read a book. And they needed food, right? So a man named Stephen Goldner won the contract to provide tinned food, mostly soup and vegetables. And he got the contract only seven weeks before the ship set sail. So he had to work frantically to provide 8,000 tins of food in seven weeks. Um, they also had with them salt cured meat and live cattle. They had about three years worth of food taking with them. Most of the crew were from Northern England. There were a couple from Ireland, Wales, and Scotland, and then one from Nova Scotia and one from Norway. There were 24 officers, and only six of them had prior experience in the Arctic. So Franklin and Crozier had been to the Arctic. Um, uh, who was that other guy? I, don't, I didn't put his name here. Oh, Fitzjames, uh, First Lieutenant Graham Corps, Assistant Surgeon Alexander McDonald, and an Ice Master, because each ship had an Ice Master. So the What's expedition? an ice master do? So, when you are sailing in the Arctic... Um, she was desperately hoping someone would ask her. I know, so cool. I don't have, like, a lot of details, into but... That. I should have put a better picture for some of this. So, you would they would need to literally break the ice ahead of them to travel in some of these passages, even using, like, explosives and stuff. Because it wasn't just, like, a chill layer of ice. Um... We're talking on like top birds, of the water. like for like Titanic, I'm yeah. assuming. Thick ice, and you could actually become ice bound, and the ship could not move. Like you would be fully trapped in the ice. Hold on. I um. They say I don't like being led into questions. This was one of those things that I like when I'm doing my research. I'll just leave notes for myself of pictures that I want to go find later. And I did this picture, or I did this note for myself, and then I did not find a picture. Well, you do that. Um, what I think an ice master is, is... I'm um, on it, Lacey. Hold on. 
like uh, someone in the bar that's like really good at sculpting ice. That's fun. That's fun. Oh, yeah. There's a nice drawing of it. Yeah, you needed people who could um basically figure out how to get through the ice, how to break up the ice, the best passages through the ice, because it could look like you were just sailing through solid land. The ice was so intense. So um, don't yeah. go towards the Arctic. I wouldn't. Maybe, maybe now I feel like we've got different kinds of ships and more knowledge. I don't think I would have in 1845. Have you so, seen TikTok's North Sea? Yes. It's scary. It looks scary, but they are sailing consistently through it. So these ships leave on May 19th, 1845. They leave from Kent, England. Their crew has 110 men. And 24 officers. So we've got 135 people total on these two ships. They stopped briefly in Scotland, and then they spent a month traveling to Greenland. They were accompanied by two other ships along the way to Greenland, HMS Rattler, and then a transport ship called Barreto Jr. Once they got to Greenland, um, 10 oxen on Barreto Jr. were slaughtered for fresh meat for the ships. Crew members wrote their final letters home that the two transport ships would take back. They met several of them mentioned in their letters that Franklin had banned swearing and drunkenness. And I was just wondering how he intended to enforce that, but that's not my business. Five men were actually discharged and sent home at this time due to sickness. So the final crew count is 129 men heading to the Arctic. I don't like that number. Yeah, I didn't love it. 134, I felt good about. 129. somehow better. Yeah, yeah. I think they should have just kicked another one off or made a sick one stay. I mean... <laughs> no, wait a second. Hold on. Stay. Hmm. Is it 129 plus the captain? No, 129 total. Oh. Yeah. They should have made a sick one stay to make yeah. an even 130. 130 would have been the nicest. Or just option, picked but... up like a random kid or something. <laughs> just grab somebody in Greenland and be like, you want to go on yeah. a trip? You're coming! I think those five men who were too sick to go were eventually very happy that they didn't go. I mean, it all like it's like calling in sick for work. It's pretty lame. 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 Unless they were like coughing up a lung or something, or maybe dying of plague. People had like tuberculosis and stuff at this time. I just threw that one out there. Um, in late July, eighteen forty-five, two whaling ships encountered terror in Erebus in Baffin Bay, off of Greenland. They were just waiting for conditions to be good enough to cross the bay to Lancaster Sound. Everything that we know about what happened after this has been pieced together by a variety of evidence over the next one hundred fifty years, because the ships and their crew were never seen again. Oh, put some sinister music in there. Okay, so after two years. People were concerned. Nobody has heard from the ships. They didn't expect them to be gone for two full years. They took three years worth of food because when you're going to the Arctic, you take a lot of food because so many ships have gone and gotten stranded and needing rescued. So you take a lot of food. But they thought that they would either have been back by now or have reached some kind of an outpost where they could send letters home. So we're worried. It's two years later. Lady Franklin, so John's wife, Jane Franklin, Um, Members of Parliament and British newspapers were pushing the Admiralty to send a search party. Their official stance was, we're not concerned, everything's fine. Unofficially, they did launch a rescue party to go look for them. So they launched, it had three parts to it. There was an overland rescue party, which was going to head down the Mackenzie River to the coast, and then two sea expeditions. 
<laughs> one sea expedition was led by James Clark Ross, the one who did not take the main expedition because his wife, he told his wife he wouldn't anymore. So when Drew was like, what if that was just an excuse? I was like, oh, he does end up going back to the Arctic later to look for the Franklin expedition. So maybe it was just an excuse. So he led one sea one ship. They went through the Lancaster Sound the same way that the Franklin Expedition would have and the other one came from the Pacific side. So everybody's kind of converging in this area to see if they can find them. The Admiralty offered a reward of 20,000 pounds, which today would be 2,136,300 pounds to any party or parties of any country who shall render assistance to the crews of the Discovery ships under the command of Sir John Franklin. So basically, if you encounter the people from the ships and you help them or you help us find them, 20,000 pounds. In 1850, so this is five years later, 11 British ships and two American ships decide we're going to go look because nobody's heard from them or seen them. They found the first relics of the expedition and they found these on Beachy Island. There were remnants of a winter camp from the first winter um, that the men spent out there, which so winter of 1845 to 46. And they found graves of three men. So these were actually graves that were dug and had, like they put tombstones on top of the men's name on it. These are the first three men believed to have died on the expedition. John Torrington, John Hartnell, and William Brain. So this, like wintering on an island, would have been typical. Because once you hit winter, you probably weren't going to get your ships through the ice. So you would kind of stop where you were and set up camp and you would live on the island and on the ship over the winter until the ice broke up enough for you to keep traveling so them spending this winter there their first winter not suspicious and these three men at the time they figured probably just died of natural causes that people die of on ships getting sick or something because when you go to the arctic for a couple years with a hundred plus people sometimes people just die So two years later, in 1852, an expedition involving five ships went out. Four of those ships ended up becoming icebound and being abandoned, and those crew all needed to be rescued. I thought that this was a fun connection to us, too. So one of these ships was the HMS Resolute, and an American whaler eventually recovered the ship and returned it to England. Timbers from the ship were later used to build three desks one of which was presented to President Hayes by Queen Victoria. It's called the Resolute Desk, and it still sits in the White House. And most this presidents have chosen... Tre- yeah, it's a national treasure. Most presidents oh, have chosen <laughs> to use this desk in the Oval Office. So that was from a ship that was out looking for the Franklin Expedition. Um, in March of 1854, the Royal Navy officially labeled the crew deceased in service. So this was nine years after they left. The Royal Navy's like, they're gone. Which I think is a fair assumption. So yeah, they in, haven't turned up by now. Yeah. In April 1854, a man named John Ray, he had been on the first, the very first rescue expedition that went out. He was working on something else in Nunavut. Yes, that was right. In Nunavut, which is a region in Canada. It's like the most northern region in Canada. In April... He met a man who told him about a group of 35 to 40 white men who had starved to death near the mouth of the Black River. So I also learned something else when I was researching this. So Inuit refers to a group of Inuit people, but individuals are called Inuk. Inuk. So he met an Inuk, which is just one of a group of Inuit 
people. I didn't know that. Who told him the story of 35 to 40 white men who had starved to death near the mouth of the back river. Others who he talked to confirmed the story and said there were rumors that there had been cannibalism among these men. They then sold um, silver forks and spoons to John Ray that were later identified as being from the ships. Now, this location where they say these men died was still hundreds of miles from civilization. So they, whether or not the story about these men starving was true, they did have things from the ships that they had gotten by trading with these men. So July 1855, James Anderson and James Stewart, who was a Hudson Bay Company employee, they traveled by canoe to the mouth of the Back River. They spoke with a band of Inuit there who said a group of foreigners had starved to death along the coast. So they're speaking to different bands of Inuits who are saying that these groups of white men have starved here. In August, they found a piece of wood inscribed with Erebus and a piece of wood inscribed with Mr. Stanley, which was the name of a surgeon um, on one of the ships. And this was at an inlet where the back river meets the sea. At this time, the Admiralty is not sending any more expeditions because they've already declared that they died. They're not really interested in putting any more money into it. But Lady Franklin did not want to give up yet. She commissioned an expedition herself. She raised the money through public funds. She just got people to donate money um, and sent another commission under Francis Leopold McClintock. So McClintock set sail on July 2nd, 1857. So 13, 12 years after the men went missing, he was on a steam schooner called Fox. In April of 1859, sled parties from Fox were searching King William Island. On the western side of the island, a party led by Lieutenant William Hobson found a lifeboat with two human skeletons and relics from the expedition. This included things like boots, silk handkerchiefs, soaps, sponges, slippers, hair combs, and books. On the southern coast, they found another skeleton in a ship's steward uniform. And on May 5th, Hobson's team discovered what is now known as the Victory Point note. Because they found it at Victory Point. So... The Victory Point note found May 1859 on the northwestern coast of King William Island. So it has two parts to it. And it's written on a pre-printed Admiralty form. And I have a picture of it on slide six. That one picture not supposed to be there anymore. Okay, so that's what it looked like. You could see that there's some like typing and stuff. Like it was a pre-printed note that they had to write kind of around what was already there. And the first part was written in 1847, after their first wintering on Beachy Island. And it says, and I'm, I've got this word for word, except I kind of took the coordinates out because I didn't feel like reading them all. It said, HMS ships Erebus and Terror wintered in the ice, and then gave coordinates. Having wintered in 1846-47 at Beachy Island, coordinates, after having ascended Wellington Channel to latitude 77 degrees and returned by the west side of Cornwallis Island. Sir John Franklin commanding the expedition. All well. Party consisting of two officers and six men left the ships on Monday, 24th May, 1847. And it was signed by two people, a lieutenant and a mate. And it was dated May 28th. So what would happen is on these islands and stuff where people were searching the Arctic, they had built cairns, which are like giant rock piles almost. And as people 
explore different areas, they would write notes about like what they've explored so far in the date and things, and they would leave them under the cairns, like they'd stick them under rocks. So people later might find them. You could also do this if you were lost and you were trying to like leave breadcrumbs for people to find you. So the dates on here mean that the search, this party had left the ship on May 24th to go do some exploring and they were leaving the note on May 28th. Okay. The second part of this letter is written all in the margins because there wasn't a lot of space left. And this was dated April 25th, 1848. Thank you. That's a Karen. So the first part of the letter is just kind of like, Hey, we stayed at beachy Island this winter. We're exploring. Here's our coordinates. Franklin's still in charge. Everything's cool. And that was written in 1847. The second one is written a year later and it's written in the margins of the note the letter because there wasn't a lot of space left it says hms ships terra and erebus were deserted on the 22nd april five leagues north northwest of this having been beset since 12th september 1846 the officers and crews consisting of 105 souls under the command of captain crozier landed here and then gave coordinates this paper was found by lieutenant irving under the cairn supposed to have been built by sir james ross in 1831 four miles to the northward where it had been deposited by the late commander gore in june 1847 sir james ross's pillar has not however been found and the paper has been transferred to this position which is that in which sir j ross's pillar was erected sir john franklin died on the 11th june 1847 and the total loss by deaths in the expedition has been to this date nine officers and 15 men. We'll start tomorrow, the 26th, for Baxfish River. And it was signed by Fitzjames and Crozier. So at this point, um, the ship had become trapped and they had made the decision to desert the ships. They couldn't get out. They had been gone for three years now. And they were going to try to start walking to Baxfish River. Sorry. So they'd been missing for three years and they had only been, they'd, they'd lost 26 people, 24 people, 24. Yeah. 15 men and nine officers. Yes. Because this, this wasn't like too, they weren't gone for too long at this point. They were worried because they were ice down and nobody had come yet to rescue them, but it has only been three years since they left. But remember also they only had three years worth of food with them. So it's not a crazy number of people who died, although Franklin right. died, and that's kind of a bummer. But didn't after two years, didn't they send people to find them? Yeah, two years is when they started getting worried and sent people. So at, when they sent people, they weren't even yet super worried. Like, like the actual crew wasn't too worried about their situation yet. Okay, and so hold on. So from the British perspective, two mm -hmm. years... They sent people to go find them. Yeah. From the crew's perspective, three years, they've abandoned their ships, mm. and they're like... They're going to try to march. Just hanging out with 26 dead people. Mm. But, like, how long did... Like, there's a whole year between when they sent help and... Yeah, well, they they couldn't find them. Like, they were looking for them during that time, but they were unable to find them. Remember, this is all an unexplored Arctic area. So that first year when they were searching for them, they were alive, minus whoever had died already. They just couldn't couldn't get to them. So um, 
Hobson also found a second document with the same admiralty form containing a duplicate of that very first message from 1847 in a different cairn a few miles southwest. So what probably happened was um, Fitzjames, who his handwriting matched all of these messages, he had written both of the, hey, everything's cool messages on the ship. And then two like overland exploration crews went out and just left them in different places. And then a year later, as things are getting desperate, they've decided to abandon the ship. They went and found one of them to provide this update, which is basically things are desperate. People are starting to die. We've abandoned the ship, so we're going to try marching. Um, And they pointed out that both of these letters contain the same errors. And the big one is that they put the wrong date for their winter that they spent on Beachy Island. So I don't know if anybody who's listening paid enough attention to me, but they said having wintered in 1846 to 47 at Beachy Island, that was their second winter. They actually spent the first winter there, 45 to 46. So by April of 1848, they've abandoned the ships, literally. They're going to try to march to Bax River. And shoot, where did I put it on here? I put how far of a walk that was going to be. It was like a thousand miles or something. It was an incredibly long march that they were about to head off on. But they didn't have much of a choice. So. Back to our timeline here. McClintock's expedition, who found the victory point note, they also took a ton of testimony from the Inuit, some of which had um, traded with these men over time. And there are some people at in this time period who believe that some members of the crew had been able to survive and were now just living among the Inuit because they were unable to find their way to Western civilization. Then from 1860 to 1869, Charles Francis Hall led two different expeditions. Yeah, so this shows this picture you just pulled up. So there's Beachy Island. They spent their first winter. Um, Down here is where they stopped King William Island. So that cairn, that top little dot, is where they found the notes. And they're going to walk all the way down here to Back River. But where it stops there, Starvation Cove is the farthest that they can track them. They're the reason it's called Starvation Cove. And then didn't, um, I'm noticing like a parallel, didn't, uh, I think it was Bailey's case with the Roanoke. They, didn't they hypothesize that some of those people just like joined? Like just yeah, joined with the natives, the... Native American tribes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, some people are like, they're probably fine. They're just out there living with the Inuit. Um, So a man named Charles Francis Hall led two expeditions from 1860 to 69. And this was a man who actually lived among the Inuit. And he felt confident that none of these survivors were living with them. Because he was like, I would have picked up on that if that was happening. He found camps and more graves and more relics on King William Island. He gathered hundreds of pages of Inuit testimony where they talked about visiting the ships Um, when they were icebound, to trade with them and talking about encountering a party of white men on the island marching south. In the 90s, a man named David Woodman researched all this testimony that um, Hall had put together and used it to write two books. This guy was convinced that most of these 105 survivors mentioned in the Victory Point note had survived, got one of the ships running again, and sailed it back down the coast of King William Island. Nobody else believes that. Just this one guy. From 1878 to 1880. Wouldn't there be some kind of evidence of that? You would think. I'm Now, to be fair, I didn't read his books. Maybe he found evidence. 
And we will <laughs> talk later about where the ships are found. So I feel like if he found evidence, you would have found more information about that ship being in a different spot or whatever. Yeah. Um, so in 1878 to 1880, U.S. Army Lieutenant Frederick Schwatka organized an expedition to the island. He was hoping to find expedition records. Because a lot of times if you were, if you had to abandon ship and wait to be rescued or travel somewhere, you would take your expedition records with you and then put them under a cairn or something like they did with the note to be found later. So he was hoping to find these records. He did not, but he did find remains, remains of another guy named John Irving. Now we're going to leap a hundred years ahead. We're coming to 1981. Okay. A man named Owen Beatty, who's a professor at the University of Alberta, began what he called the Franklin Expedition Forensic Anthropology Project, or FIFAP. He and his team traveled to King William Island, just like the same way the Franklin Expedition would have traveled, hoping to find remains because they wanted to try and use modern forensics to identify men and their causes of death. They did find some human remains on this journey. He noted that the bones showed evidence of a vitamin D deficiency, which is what causes scurvy. And he noted signs of cannibalism. He sent bone samples to a laboratory for analysis and was very surprised to discover high levels of lead in the bones. They took Inuit samples from the same area for their control samples. They had levels of 26 to 36 parts per million for the lead. The crewman's bones had a level of 226 parts per million. So 10 times more lead showing in their bones. And Owen Beatty was like, wow, that's interesting. I'd like to learn more about this. So in 1982, he and three of his grad students went back and they found remains of six to 14 men. And it wasn't until he actually came back from this trip that he learned about the lead. He was incredibly curious about how the crew would have developed lead poisoning and how bad it would have been for them. And he said that lead in the skeletal remains could actually reflect lifetime exposure instead of just recent exposure. So he really needed to be able to examine soft tissue to see if this was lead that had been building up in them over years or recently. Now, the issue maybe, with this is that... Hmm? Maybe because they were starving, they started eating the lead paint off the boat. Maybe. Um, I don't think they were starving yet when they left abandoned the ships. I think that that came later. But he decided... Now, this is almost 150 years in the future. Um, you're not going to really find remains with soft tissue on them. But he decides he would like to check out the graves of those three men on Beachy Island. The very first three who died who actually had dug graves and tombstones. So... To exhume the bodies was a very lengthy process involving getting um, permits from like six different government agencies of a couple different countries. And they even had to, to the best of their ability, track down descendants of these people to try to get permission to dig them up. But they got their permission. 1984, they headed back to Beachy Island. They just started, decided to start with John Torrington because it was believed he was the very first to die on the Franklin Expedition. But when they started digging, they discovered they had a problem, and that problem is permafrost. So permafrost is ground that remains completely frozen for at least two straight years. So two years, 32 degrees Fahrenheit or under, solidly frozen, you've got permafrost. They started digging. They only got four inches down before the ground was frozen solid. So they had to, like, mine their way down and just chip away at it. And it 
took five feet to reach the first coffin, John Torrington's coffin. Oh, there it is. Nice. Thank you. There was a plaque nailed to his coffin reading, John Torrington died January 1st, 1846, aged 20 years. The coffin was well-crafted and frozen solid. The ice had cemented it into place. After they removed the lid, which was a process because they had to pry the nails out and pry the lid off, they had to use hot water to melt the ice to even reach his body, which is what this picture is showing. Him just completely covered in ice and then pouring hot water on it. His face was covered with fabric, and when they removed the fabric, they were shocked to find an extremely well-preserved face staring back at them because the permafrost had essentially mummified the bodies. Yeah, look at him. He's been dead for like 140 years. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't look great. I mean, no. If I encountered him in the streets, I'd probably run screaming. He doesn't look skeletal. No. They said um, the skin was leathery, but other than that, he seemed as if somebody, as if he had recently died. When they moved him out of the coffin, his limbs were flexible, and Beatty said it was like trying to move an unconscious person instead of a dead body, which was very weird. I didn't like that. I don't know why that's weird when they were literally moving a dead body. They performed the autopsy graveside. That's the weird part. (laughs) They performed the autopsy graveside, took samples, and then put him back. So they did all of this right there next to the graves. They didn't take them anywhere. So John had suffered extreme malnutrition. He had been five foot four, and um, he weighed at this time when they pulled him out. He weighed 88 pounds, and they don't think he weighed much more than that before the mummification process. They think this was pretty close to his dying weight. Um, how did they make the coffin? You said supplies it was well-crafted? Yeah, it was well-crafted. They would have used supplies on the ship, and we think that these three were well-crafted while others were not, or bodies were just left places, because at the start, they didn't realize that they were going to all die. They yeah, were just they like, didn't... oh, we lost some buddies. We'll build them a nice coffin and bury them here. I wonder if they bring coffins, because, like, Statistically Maybe. speaking, on any of these expeditions, like you're going to lose people, a That's few horrifying. people, like from random things, like either they get sick or like there was an accident. Um, but like it's not uncommon to like come back with like less than you started. So I yeah. wonder if it was like something they that just they bring just, them like, just packed. in case. Yeah, like that. But that could be. Then they would have I had mean, you waste stuff trying to build it. Yeah, he was lying on wood shavings, which is what this stuff is that you can see like around his head. Um, so John had suffered extreme malnutrition. I said that he had been ill for a while before he died. Autopsy showed he probably died from pneumonia, which was exacerbated by a fatal amount of lead in his system. All three of the men who were buried there died from pneumonia and possibly tuberculosis. So this led everybody to the question, how had these men developed lead poisoning? What happened? So we've got some theories. During this expedition, where they did the autopsies, the team also checked out an area a little over a half mile north of the gravesite, where hundreds of food tins had been discarded by the crew. Um, they noted that they were soldered with lead, which was typical for the time period. You would solder your stuff with lead, but it had been done poorly. If you remember, the guy who got this contract had a limited amount of time and had to work very, very quickly to get all the tins ready, and because of that, it was done very sloppily. But it said that the 
lead was just dripped like melted candle wax down the inside surface of the cans and it would have definitely come into direct contact with the food so they were eating from these tins they were just eating the lead it was just fully in their food Um, in addition the poor soldering would have also caused the food to rot not great um and i learned that this desalination system they had used for the steam engines would have produced fresh water, but it would have been fresh water with a high lead content because of the materials they used at the time. So they would also have been drinking the water that they were able to make using the desalination system. So the food had lead in it, the water had lead in it. So pretty much... It was not great with lead. Everything had lead. They were full of lead. I mean, at this point, just say, like, the air had lead, too. Yeah. And they, and I mean, they would not have known this. They weren't even worried about this right now. They're worried about the fact that they're stranded in the Arctic. But in the meantime, they're just being, they're all getting sick from lead poisoning. So, hopping back, I mean, 1992. Yeah. Even even if they did know that it was all contaminated with lead, like, mm-hmm. what are their what are options? Do? Yeah. Yeah. They did, um... They know that as the men marched south towards Back's River, they they were doing some hunting as well. But you're kind of limited on the number of animals you're going to encounter in the Arctic. And, you know, it wouldn't be enough to feed 105 people. So in 1992, yeah, a Franklin scholar named Barry Ranford and a guy named Mike Yaroskavich discovered some skeletal remains that they believed were from the lost expedition and a year later a team returned to the spot to excavate they found nearly 400 bones and fragments along with some artifacts examination of the bones showed elevated levels of lead and cut marks consistent with defleshing 35 of the bones also had signs of pot polishing which is what happens if you boil the bones in water and they rub against the pot that they're cooking in This is done in the final stages of cannibalism when people are so desperate that they are extracting the marrow from the bones. Hmm. Yeah. That's healthy. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, Um, we're dying. I know we're like, I I might be jumping ahead. Do they think that the, like this over, this group of over a hundred some men, they all stayed together? Like no one branched off and like formed their own groups? I, that's a good question. I didn't read anything about them, about that. They have, and it doesn't seem like it, because the bodies they found have all been kind of, like, along a route, for the most Mm -hmm. part. Yeah, Um, I wouldn't, if I was in the Arctic with a large group, I wouldn't want to go off on my own. Yeah, Yeah, but just, like, human nature-wise, like, I mean, like, that's a lot of people to all share, like, follow one person no they also when they um left the ships they left with a lot of stuff and that's i put that in there somewhere but they brought like weird stuff with them and what they had to do was like load up sleds that ended up being like a couple thousand pounds and drag them along behind them so they also had like take turns pulling the sleds and stuff so you need some people for that i feel like nobody would have wanted to branch off of the main group if they couldn't bring stuff with them um oh bone marrow so they were eating each other for sure there have been a couple other overland expeditions didn't really find much new stuff are you wondering about the ships and where the ships ended up no okay i'm gonna tell you i wrote (laughs) that question in there and i thought somebody would be more excited sorry so my my oldest who woke up from her nap early Mm -hmm. is singing jingle bells 
Oh, cool. And I'm asking her to please be quiet because mommy is trying to record. And she just started singing louder. Oh. That's where we are in this time. Okay. So what was your question? I said, are you wondering about the ships? Well, now, tell you said they're steam ships. Steam. They had steam engines. They could also just use their sails. They could kind of choose what they wanted to use. Okay, because like I was picturing like a wood. Is it was it wooden? They were still wooden. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna guess that they got all broken up and then sunk. Okay, there's a guess. Let me tell you. In it's frozen, 1997, though. expedition started using sonar to search for the ships. In 2010, the HMS Investigator, you're not supposed to say the in front of HMS, but it just feels weird saying HMS Investigator, which you have know what become... HMS stands for? Her Majesty's Ships. So if you put it's the in front of it, it's or the Her, Her Majesty's Majesty. Ships. It could be a man, too. Oh, that's true, because it could be a king. Bailey, you're kind of quiet. Oh, I'm that's because I'm telling a story. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's because she leaned back. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm like sorry. There's a, it's a lot of dialogue she's throwing at us. <laughs> There's more. Yeah. In 2010, the investigator, which had become icebound and abandoned in 1853 while searching for the Franklin expedition, was found in good shape. Okay. That was just like a random. They're like, oh, we found this ship. Jerk. Okay, sorry. So the investigator, I thought you were saying that they the, the HMS, mm-hmm. like, there was a, like, you know how a private investigator mm-hmm. is a person i thought you were saying that this was an investigator who oh, investigates sorry the HMS ship ship. investigator yeah i he was like they just sent one guy with a micro mic <laughs> microscope and a sonar machine yeah. so um you made a they found glass they found that ship from 1853 in good shape i think that's cool on september 9th 2014 an expedition run by Parks Canada announced that it had located one of the ships using side scan sonar. It was located in 36 feet of water at the bottom of that. That's maybe supposed to say meters. I switched back and forth in this because I was like converting for myself. And now I don't remember. That doesn't seem deep enough. It could be 36 feet to 36 meters of water um, at the bottom of Wilmot and Crampton Bay. On October 1st, it was confirmed that it was the Erebus. So the one slide, which might be the next one. I don't know where you're at. Look at those, the weirdo just frozen in ice. Um, oh, it's the very bottom slide. I didn't order these real well. That's a picture of the sonar scan of the Erebus in the bottom of the river. Isn't that cool? Look at it. Yeah. So then, so that was 2014. They finally found the Erebus and they left it. They were like, we found it. Cool. That's fine. You're um, shouting. Sorry. I'm excited. I love telling my stories. On Calm September down. 12th, 2016, the Arctic Research Foundation expedition announced they had found terror south of King William Island in Terror Bay in pristine condition at 79 feet. So maybe 36 feet was right because I did feet both times. So I don't have a picture of terror, but this picture here on the slide, those two red boxes are where they found them. So Erebus was up here off King William Island. Terror was down here. And we still don't know why it's down there, like how it got so far. We also don't know why they sank. There is no definitive evidence. They have sent, um, they haven't tried to bring them up. Erebus has mostly 
is not doing as well as it was when they found it. It's starting to deteriorate. Terror is still in really great shape, and they have sent sonars down. They've like some divers have gone down just to check it out without disturbing it. We don't know why they sank. There's no definitive evidence on either ship showing what would have made them sink. We obviously know they were abandoned because they were icebound, but we don't know why they sank. Maybe so, the evidence yeah. of why they sank is underneath, and no one can and see it. To it no. Yeah. So. Using all of our evidence, here is the general timeline overview of what they believe happened. So the crew spent their first winter on Beachy Island. This is where the first three crew members died because of pneumonia and tuberculosis, exacerbated by lead poisoning that nobody knew that they had. The ships then spent the summer traveling down Peel Sound, but then got icebound September of 1846 off of King William Island. We know that because of um, the, the note, the victory point note. The crew spent nearly two years in this spot, just trapped. Franklin died on June 11th of 1847. We don't know what he died of. In April 1848, the remaining crew abandoned the ships. They began a long walk. Here it is. Not a thousand miles. 250 miles. Over the island, an ice-covered sea toward the Canadian mainland. By this point, 24 men had died. All of the remaining crew died on this march. It was a desperate attempt anyway to reach civilization. It's not surprising that they all would have died along the way. They would have died from a combination of the elements, starvation, and disease, including scurvy, pneumonia, tuberculosis, all made worse by lead poisoning. And um, the lead poisoning combined with scurvy would have also been making them go a little bit crazy. Now, there are some experts today that don't believe the lead poisoning actually played that great of a role. They did a study in 2013 that showed that the lead present in some crew members' bones had actually been consistent during their lives. Um, and as the tuberculosis worsened in some of them, it would have caused their bodies to start breaking down bone fat and muscle and releasing the lead that was previously stored in the bone. So they don't necessarily think that eating all the lead-laced food from the tins caused too much damage to them. They would have died anyway, <laughs> just from being abandoned and then, or being stranded and then starving to death um they did make some strange choices and the things that they brought along with them when they abandoned the ships they brought heavy items like a desk which were just dead weight and left some food and stuff behind that would have been really good on a 250 mile march through the arctic the most recently yeah, but, identified like that food was yucky it was like yeah, kale was. and yeah. quinoa I don't think they were like. Mm -hmm. It would have been rotting though. They said because of the poor soldering, it would have been rotting. Although I think if you were starving, if you're willing to eat people, you're probably willing to eat rotten food. I mean, um, they did. I did. I did find two photos that I thought you'd think was interesting, Lacey. If you want to see them real quick, yes. Ooh, is that over top one of the ships? That's the Erebus, I believe. Over oh. top. Okay, 36 feet sounds believable. I can and see with my own eyes. That's a sonar image of uh, terror. Isn't that cool? It's like still so intact. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, they're I think it was occasionally ghosts. identifying crewmen. In 2021, they identified one of the crewmen, a warrant officer, John Gregory, and they were able to track down his great, great, great grandson, Jonathan Gregory, in South Africa. 
Ooh. <laughs> I thought it was cool. Plus, the, the crewman was John Gregory, and then his grandson was Jonathan Gregory, and I was like, that's neat. Yeah, and so, John is such a unique name. I liked it. So that's the story of Franklin's Lost Expedition. I feel like uh, you ended that on a little anticlimactic note. Yeah, as I got yeah. to the end, I was like, I don't have any nice way to wrap this up. I was just like, they found Jonathan Gregory. Who's this guy? Um, John Hartnell. He was one of the three original, um, the first three to die. He was one of the ones who was dug up, and they were like, wow, he looks great. Look at his hair. They didn't close his eyes. <laughs> no, their eyes were open. That's why they said it was so startling when they took the fabric off their faces, and it looked like they were staring back at them. Can you imagine breaking through the ice and seeing this? <laughs> no. I would hate that so much. Um, so that the location where they found the biggest number of bodies that showed like end stages of cannibalism, they call that Starvation Cove. They think that that's the furthest that they got. And I didn't put it on here, but it was still hundreds of miles from the closest like outpost of Western civilization. They weren't even close to being rescued. Well, that's good because you you don't want it to be like. They were right outside the, the town and they were like, mm, I don't know if we're going to make it the other 20 feet, guys. Um, Let's start eating each other. I will add, too, I just realized I didn't write it down, but if anybody here was listening and they were like, but did they find the Northwest Passage? Kind of. So they ended up, we now know we've got a couple Northwest Passages that go through the Canadian Arctic. Um, but the first person who was like credited with it was McClintock who was on the expedition or led the expedition that found the victory point note. Um, he ended up on that search expedition, traveling through finding Northwest passage. And he was like, I did it. I did it. And they like gave him a medal and all kinds of stuff. Um, but at some point, maybe after they found, there was some point, not super long after that, when somebody was like, well, if this ship, if Erebus and Terror made it to King William Island, if they're where we think they were, then they were on the Northwest Passage. They may not have known it, but they were there. So they like posthumously gave Franklin credit for finding the North, for being the first to find the Northwest Passage. Okay. Yeah. I don't think like, a participation did, trophy. Come it on. It feels that way. He didn't get all the way through <sighs> it. And we don't even know if he knew. It kind of feels very much like. Christopher Columbus thinking he was in India or wherever. They're like, we'll we'll give you credit for it. We'll say that was the Northwest Passage. Whatever. Cool. So that's what I got. Not really a mystery. We pretty much pieced it together. There are still not like a lot of people who think that they didn't all die on the march. Um, and I do think it's interesting that one guy wrote the book and he was like, I'm pretty sure they got back on that ship and sailed it south a while. I mean, terror was found south of King William Island. It wasn't found up there next to Erebus. And we don't know why, so I don't know. I'm trying Maybe. to... Sorry, I'm I'm trying to, like, orient myself with, like, an actual, like, a Google map. Mm-hmm. So I found King William Island. Okay. But I... Where is... Where is Beachy? It's it Beachy would be Island. it's farther north. Keep going north. 
up here mm -hmm. yeah it was like way up because i think you're a lot more zoomed in than my hold on my like mouse pad button isn't working i have to keep why don't you it. search it drew well because then it'll let me tell me it. how far until for me to get there and i'm That's not like way up oh, didn't you just didn't you just pass on their prince prince of wales prince. island yeah it's above that oh up here This looks like we're doing one of those tests where they hold up shapes and they're like, what do you see? Yeah. <laughs> so this go is where King William digging a hole. This this is King William Island. So it looks like they came up this way and then came down. Mm -hmm. So they they made it looks like they made a wrong turn. <laughs> like right around <laughs> like here. They should have just gone straight through. Exactly. Yeah. And I just feel like they probably went down this way and I'm going to say because it was the 1850s, um, it was just a bunch of men, and nobody wanted to stop to ask for no, direction. Yeah, yeah. On slide, Had they stopped, they would have found out that they were going the wrong direction, and maybe they wouldn't have all died. Slide four has what they think is the probable route taken by the men, which is like what you just showed us on there. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that would be helpful mm -hmm. if I had related that. Yeah, but you were doing such a good job. Yeah. Finding it on your own, so. Well, this looks. Oh, no, never mind. That's okay. So, wait, they went up? What? It looks like. The... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they got real yeah, lost. That, that, like, first red dot is, like, where they had stopped for their first winter. That's where they got stuck. Not got stuck, but, like, where they moored the first time. So, like. And then, yeah, they kind of, like. They came this way, and then for some reason they decided to make a quick right turn up here and yeah. take the scenic well, route around this island. Well, now, wait a minute, because we're looking at this as people who have access to what the map actually looks like. They they were just exploring. You know yeah, what I mean? But if, they didn't necessarily they know got, that if they went left, it would take them straight through. But if they got here, yeah. and they were like, which way should we go? Why not? You can't. It's not like there's an island right here. That they're like, oh, we can't go straight. We should go this way. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. I, maybe, I think maybe since winter was coming, they wanted to be somewhere where they felt like they could successfully overwinter. Because you know that you're locked in for a couple months. You're not going anywhere. So maybe they were like, we've got an island up here. Let's park it. I think they were being the ocean. I'm really excited to um watch the show based on this because I love historical fiction. Especially okay. when they take something and make it spooky, and it looks like it's spooky. So, I hope you guys um, enjoyed the tale of Franklin's yeah. Lost Expedition. I enjoyed it. It was a very historical thing. Um, Thank you. What I also enjoyed is that I really like when we do these slideshows because they really help while I'm editing the video for yeah. our Patreon people. Mm -hmm. Cough, Brandon. Um, <laughs> Because I don't really have to edit photos in. Because yeah. we just do it. So do I like it. that. Mm -hmm. um, I also liked that last episode, last week, um, you gave us a little teaser for this week. But you yeah. didn't like come out and say what it was. I don't like that. What was the teaser? She was just like, next week I'm going to be telling you guys about another like expedition. 
Oh. And but she didn't come right yeah, out. Yeah, it wasn't say. detailed. It was just like, here's what's coming. My next yeah. case, which I know won't be next week, it'll be a little bit yet, might have to do with another expedition because I'm on a little bit of a roll. And by that I mean okay. I've done one and I might do another one. You you seem to enjoy it. I learned about one by accident on Facebook and I was like, I might be able to write a whole thing about that. So oh. I like when you find things out by accident. Yes. And then they're cool. Yeah. That's how that's that's how uh I I prepare that's how I got into uh next week's episode. Yeah. Oh, what's next I learned about episode it. gonna be about? Well, I learned about it from a TikTok. Um mm-hmm. here, this is the teaser. Okay, so yeah. um you I know Lacey is and I'm pretty sure Bailey is familiar with um Jake Johnson from New Girl. Oh yeah. When you said yeah. the name I wasn't sure Nick. as soon as you said New Girl, I was like, yeah. that's Nick. Yeah. So what I I became aware of this next week's topic because when he was he was talking on a podcast and he said when he was nine years old he was a um he he could have been had he not gone on a field trip that day he could have been a victim of oh the person that i'm going to be telling you guys about next week interesting i'm teased That was my teasing finger. <laughs> I didn't well, like it. Those aren't well, spinger fingers. These are teasing fingers. Sinister. I think the cannibalism we was the most sar- sinister part. Sarcastic. Bailey lost a lot again. of You <laughs> cut me off. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that was sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening. Is that better energy? 